Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning, church. How we doing? Look at you guys all warmed up and ready to go. Hey, uh, apologies for the video. Kyle's really been trying hard to get me to buy them a new computer back there, and I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose. So, um, <laughs> our bad. Um, I'm just kidding. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH, and we're glad that you're with us this morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, I walked in, and I was like, let's go. We, uh, we decorated to our heart's content this week here which meant most of us didn't actually do any decorating at our own homes uh, this week because we're like, I'm done fluffing trees. I don't care if they look pretty, I'm done fluffing them um, altogether. But uh, I know uh, some of you want to know this. Next week, uh, our, uh, our, at this service, our 1030 service, our kids have been working on Christmas songs since like before Halloween. Um, and uh, so they're going to be doing two songs next week. They're going to be on stage. They're going to be looking all cute. And so if you have a kid and they're here for the first time, Man, that's cool. Even first time next week, we'll throw them on stage. None of them know the hand motions anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, they're going to help us lead worship next week, and so uh, make sure you're, uh, you're here for that. Uh, but we're starting into a brand new series. Um, we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but uh, it's specifically, do you see what I see? And what we want to do is we want to look at the perspectives of, of different characters in the Bible, specifically um, when it was that they found out about the coming of the Messiah. Um, and so we're going to do it a little bit, maybe a little bit differently. I need you to be aware uh, this morning isn't just going to be um, Jesus being born in a manger and all of the animals and all of the wise men and all that stuff. It's going to be a slightly different take because what we're going to do is we are going to start with Jesus this week and when it was that Jesus saw his responsibility, when it was that Jesus saw himself coming into this world. And the next week, we're going to talk about Mary um, and when she saw Jesus coming into the world. And then the following week will be Joseph, um, and then uh, we'll end this whole series on, uh, on Christmas Eve. So I'm excited about it, but one of the things you need to be aware of is this morning is going to be a little dense. It's going to be a little theologically dense, um, and so uh, if you're a note taker, scribble fast. Um, if uh, you hate the theological part of things and are just like, hey, just tell me what to do, I'll wake you up with about 10 minutes left, okay? Um, but, uh, but so that's where we're going we're gonna to be. We're going to be talking about the birth narrative today. And so before we get to, to Jesus' birth, I want to talk about uh, another birth narrative that is almost as important as Jesus' birth. Um, it's my oldest son, Cooper's. I know, some of you guys are like, wow, he's right, that is important. Um, Anyway, so, so Cooper uh, came into the world uh, uh, March 30th, 2009. Give me a holy nod over there. Yeah? Okay, good. So many of them. Just so many of them. There's like, dates are hard. You know what I mean? Um, if you're new with us, I got five kids, and so like years are tough. Um, but, uh, but anyway, 2009 um, uh, is, is when he made his appearance, and so Actually, coming in into this whole thing, Sarah and I, we were, we were two of the first ones in our friend group uh, to, to have a baby, right? Like, like, we were young, so we were 24 when we had Cooper, um, and so all of our friends were like, <laughs> responsibility, what's that? And, like, we were having kids. Um, and so uh, we were the second, second grandkid on, uh, on my wife's side, first grandkid on my side, and, and so, um, like, the arrival of Cooper was a big deal. Um, so much so that, that actually when, uh, when, when we got to the hospital and 
And things started progressing, you know, we, we put together a group text that I'm sure half the people were angry that they were in. We've all been there before, right? Like, I can't get out of this text. Um, but we got, we, we put out a group text, hey, Cooper's coming today, blah, blah, blah. And, and all of a sudden, people from every corner of the earth started showing up at the hospital, right? I mean, grandmas and grandpas always, they, I mean, they have to come first, right? Because, I mean, it's the grandbaby and they're there. I mean, grandpas really aren't there to do much except keep grandma calm. But the grandma's like, hey, what do you need me to do? I'll buy you food. Like, I'll deliver the baby if I need to deliver the baby. You let me know. I'll let you, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, right? Um, and so grandparents showed up and then aunts and uncles, once work was done, like they started showing up. My best friend, uh, Caleb and his wife, like drove up from Merced to Fresno to come and, and be there. My other friend, Jordan, drove all the way from Modesto to be there, right? Like people were coming from everywhere to come and see Cooper, not see Cooper be born, <laughs> thankfully for all of them and my wife, um, but came to meet Cooper for the first. And it was so cool for us to know that people just came to be there and, and they came and they sat and some of them didn't even see Cooper that day. They're like sat for hours and then left. I remember they didn't have anything to do, but someone brought a coloring book. And so they were like, we had like grown men doing coloring book pages because they were so bored waiting for Cooper uh, to arrive. And so Cooper made his arrival at 11.40 p.m. on March 30th, 20 minutes before my wife and I's uh, second anniversary. Um, very thankful because he gets his own day and we get our own day now at that point. Um, he made his arrival as Jay Leno was, uh, was on TV, didn't turn off the TV for whatever reason. So in the story of this birth narrative, um, the wise man was Jay Leno, I guess, um, in, in that whole thing. Um, and so, but, but people were just coming from everywhere, right? And, and, and so now every single day from, or every single March 30th, from, from that March 30th forward, we celebrate Cooper's birth. And while that's good and it's important and it's fun and we're, we're not going to forget his birthday or anything like that, or at least Sarah won't forget his birthday or anything like that, um, uh, oftentimes we, we kind of treat the, the incarnation, the birth of Christ as Jesus' birthday, as, as, hey, this is the day that, that, he was, that he was born. And while that's true, that's technically true, it's the, it's the, incan the incarnation, not incantation, those are two very different words, the incarnation of Christ. Christ existed long before then. And we need to, we need to kind of come to, to terms with this because as, as Christmas approaches, we need to think for a second because a lot of us ask the questions about maybe the origin of the date of the celebration. Like is Christmas actually like Christmas, December 25th, that when Jesus was, was actually born? Um, did the celebration of Christmas even, maybe you've heard this, have like pagan origins as well? Like are there kind of some pagan traditions maybe maybe thrown in there? Um, and, and, and do we even celebrate the, the, the correct day, like I said? And so these questions are all fascinating ones. And they're a great dinner conversation on Christmas Eve when someone wants to just throw a bomb in the middle and be like, man, well, this isn't really Jesus' birthday. Why am I here, right? Um, and so while those are, are fascinating questions, and to be frank, you know, the, the, the Christmas season, Christmas trees, different things like that, they do have some, some pagan origins in the, in the Christmas celebration, but, but they don't change the meaning of that season. And actually, a lot of, a lot of people believe that, that Jesus was actually born sometime in the spring, that he actually wasn't born uh, in the wintertime in, in December. Um, but the, the reason we celebrate that is because most people believe that the Magi, the wise men, visited Jesus sometime between December 25th and January 7th. 
And so they're like, cool, December 25th, that's when Jesus' birthday actually is. And in the end, all of this doesn't really matter, right? All of those things are just kind of extra things, and it's fun to talk about, but, but it doesn't not matter because the birthday of Jesus does not mark the beginning of Jesus. The Bible presents some actually really interesting information about the Messiah, that the Messiah existed before he was born. This is called, the theological term, preexistence. Okay, it's a pretty, pretty complicated one. Okay, the pre-existence of Jesus. And Jesus' pre-existence is discovered in, in really a lot of different ways. And the reason we need to understand this is because if we're not careful, we can read pieces of Scripture and think to ourselves, oh, this is when Jesus came into being, specifically even in the birth narrative. So if you look at Matthew 1, specifically in verse 18, it says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Okay, we're like, okay, so the birth of Jesus the Messiah. No, this is no, it does not say this is how the Messiah came about. This is, this is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you look at that, though, you're like, okay, we have Mary, we have the Holy Spirit. Obviously, between Mary and the Holy Spirit, that's how we got Jesus. That's how Jesus then began to exist, and that's twisted, it's distorted, it's actually not true. So the question then becomes, who and where was Jesus before he came onto the scene in the birth narrative? So again, theologically dense question that we need to understand to fully recognize who Jesus actually is. So let's start with the origin story, okay? Where was he at the beginning of time? All you superhero nerds, you guys will like this. You guys all like a good origin story. It seems like a logical place. We need to know when it was Jesus came into existence. Was it when he was born in the manger? Was it during creation? Like at what period of time, in what period of time was did Jesus begin to exist? And we have to understand this because there's major theological, doctrinal, um, and, and, and oftentimes denominational issues that would arise if we get this part wrong. So for example, if we believe that Jesus came into being when Mary, was, or when Mary conceived, you would not hold to FBH's statement of faith. That is not what we believe. And throughout history, there, there, there have been various groups and individuals that believe that Jesus' existence began when he was conceived. Okay, those people, though, who consider themselves Christians while denying the pre-existence of Christ can, can ultimately be divided into two different streams from that point, okay? So all of these people, these two different streams would say that Christ did not exist before conception. And so the first group who would, who, like the first group who would believe that would accept the virgin birth, but not the pre-existence of Christ, Okay. I know some of you are starting to nod off right now. Stay with me. We're in the classroom right now. We'll get to church in just a second. Okay? So the first group of people would say, yes, we believe in the virgin birth, but we do not believe in the preexistence of Christ. Okay? There are groups like the Siconians. You guys have all heard of the Siconians, right? Uh, the, and the, specifically the early Unitarians, and they're going to change their stance, stance later on. Okay, but, but you guys definitely have heard of this group. The, the view is primarily held today by the Christadelphians. You guys have all heard of the Christadelphians? No, they're Christians who live in Philadelphia. I was just kidding. I was wondering if any of you guys are going to bite on that. But these groups, they typically believe that, that Christ was prophesied and Christ was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but didn't exist prior to his birth. Okay, but that's not all. So that's the first group. Okay, first group is like, yep, 
He was foreshadowed, virgin birth, but was not existing before that point. But then there's another group that believes that, that not only did Jesus not exist prior to conception, but also he wasn't conceived supernaturally. This is where the Unitarians land now, okay? That no, it was just Mary and Joseph, and they conceived of a baby. But then the baby was found to be so perfect, and the baby was found to be so sinless that God was like, you know what? Man, that human's like perfect and sinless, and so because of that, I'm going to adopt him as my own and make him God, okay? This is the theological term, adoptionism, okay? So they kind of really held to that view, the, the father of liberal theology, his name is Frederick Schleiermacher, Schleiermaker. his name is Fred, um, and... And he's one of actually a lot of German theologians at that point who departed from the idea of the preexistence of Christ, teaching that Christ was not God but was created as the ideal and perfect man whose sinlessness constituted his deity. Does that make sense? He was so sinless and perfect that God made him deity, Okay. So neither of those explanations, though, are what we at FBH believe. And beyond that, I think if you looked at, at Scripture, you'd have to do some really hard work to actually make that fit the narrative as well. And so what we believe is that uh, what we believe about Jesus is what I said a little bit earlier. He has existed long before his birth, existed long before the prophets, existed long before uh, creation. In short, the preexistence of Christ that I believe Scripture continually points to is that, that Jesus is personally identical with the eternally preexistent Son of God. Meaning he didn't come into existence as a brand new person around 5 BC at Christmas time. That's not when he began existing. He exists personally as the eternal son of God. In short, okay, to wrap all of this up, in short, we believe that there was never a time when Jesus was not. Does that make sense? There was never a time when Jesus was want, or was not. So how do we arrive there? How do we get that? Well, we go to the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 1, okay? We preached about this, I think, earlier in the year or last year. At some point, I preached about this. But it's John 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, notice the W there on Word is capitalized. This is talking about Jesus. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, so that's talking about Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. That's it. That's the understanding we have to come to. But how is it that Jesus, the one with the brown hair and the strappy sandals and the blue sash that we have in all of the pictures of Jesus that are obviously historically accurate, could be human from the beginning of time, but also born as a, as a baby to Mary? Yeah, this, is, this is actually something that I brought to, to Kyle and Jeff this week. I had some conversations with some other people, some volunteers before service. And the question that I thought of was like, okay, we all understand Jesus' form as, you know, eight pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, right? Like we, like we know that Jesus. And then we know the man Jesus who was crucified. But what was actually Jesus' form before he was incarnate? What was Jesus' form before he was born onto this earth? And maybe you've never wrestled with this before. 
Okay, because this is actually super fast. I mean, this is, this is what me and Kyle were nerding out about earlier in the week. We're like, oh, bro, what about this? What about this? Right? And so, so really, we don't have a very solid answer. The Old Testament and the New Testament don't give us a, a ton of idea about the, the form or the state of Jesus before he was, before he was human. Okay, but what it does represent, what we do need to understand is it brings up this concept of the hypostatic union. There's your other theology word for the morning, hypostatic union. Hypostatic union, you guys are probably familiar with, with the idea, but maybe not the term. It's the idea that God was both 100% God and 100% man. Not 50% God, 50% man, 70% God, 30% man. It means that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man as he was incarnated, as he was born, Okay. So what then would that make Jesus before he was born? Does that mean that he was just 100% God? Yes, that's always true. But what was his form? Because when we think of man, we think of flesh and blood and bones and teeth and, and hair and all of that stuff. Hey, well, like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. It, it does show us these other fascinating things called Christophanies. Write that one down. Christophanies, it's this idea that, that Jesus actually came to earth before he was incarnate or after he had ascended into heaven. One of the most famous Christophanies in the New Testament is when Paul was walking the road to Emmaus, right? And so Paul's walking down, all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Like, hold up, Jesus was up in heaven, how come he's down here now? Okay, that's called the Christophany. One of the most famous ones in the Old Testament is, you, you probably, some of you maybe remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? If not, um, you probably watched the VeggieTales version of it at some point as well, okay? And so what happened was, is these three guys refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar gets upset, and he's like, obviously, the only way to deal with this is to burn you all alive, right? Totally gracious king, really appreciated that guy. And so he opens up this first door, shoves three of them in, and then he wants to check and see how, man, how are these guys doing in the fiery furnace? So he looks in, and he doesn't see three men, he sees four, right? And so a lot of Christians believe that, hey, this is one of the first instances that we see of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, Jesus, I mean, Jesus in general, right? Like, okay, there's four of him, that's, that's Jesus. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we'll also read different instances when we hear um, uh, the angel of the Lord, specifically when that A on angel is capitalized when, you, when you're reading through Scripture, most people, a lot of theologians believe that anytime it reads the angel of the Lord, that that's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament. So there's different examples of that as well. Long story short, we don't know what his form was. If I had to take a guess, I would say that in the same way that God is spirit, Scripture says that God is spirit, he is consistently spirit, we have the Holy Spirit, okay, good, yeah, you guys are tracking with me, that I believe in the Old Testament before Jesus was incarnate as a human being, that Jesus himself was also spirit. Ton of gray area there, okay? So if you have a, a, another strong point of view, I could probably be easily swayed on that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that does not matter. What does matter is that Christ was preexistent, meaning he always existed, that Jesus preexisted as God. And so we have to recognize those things. And so, so even though there's not a ton about his, his form, some of the most important evidence that we have for the preexistence of Christ was Jesus' behavior. If you look at the New Testament, Jesus is doing and saying things that unless you're the Son of God, you definitely would not have gotten away with saying and doing those things. 
In Mark chapter 2, he actually heals a paralytic. But he doesn't just heal a paralytic for the sake of healing the man. I'm sure that was part of it. The other part of it was to show his authority to other people in the room and being like, hey, look, Pharisees, I'm going to show you my authority, not just that I healed this man, but also I'm going to forgive his sins. You weren't allowed to talk like that back in the day. You weren't allowed to talk like that as, a, as someone who was a Jewish man under Jewish teaching authority. That would have been considered extreme blasphemy. And so Jesus' own actions show us at this point that, hey, look, he is the incarnate God. He pre-existed. Okay, the, Jew, the, the, the Jesus that, that pre-existed as God is even, it's even further proven by the fact that he is the object of worship as he's walking around on earth. Numerous times, people worship God. People worship Jesus, rather, as he's walking around on earth. Again, this would have been completely and totally blasphemous. This would have made Jesus not just, not just a, a good teacher or anything like that. This would have made this guy a lunatic unless he was, in fact, the incarnate God. He saw this worship as entirely appropriate. And beyond that, Jesus even, even implied that he had authority over the Sabbath. When he talks about, you know, he's getting into it with the Pharisees again, he talks about, hey, hey, Sabbath wasn't made, or man wasn't made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. He has authority over all of the Sabbath, as well as in Ephesians 2, he talks about he has the authority to abolish the law should he want to abolish the law. Jesus is pointing to himself as, as, as divinity. He's pointing to himself as deity. And behavior like this, like I said, would have been considered blasphemy coming from anyone but a divine person. But most importantly, if you believe what Scripture says, and, and you're somebody who, as you read through Scripture, you're like, yep, I agree with that, I agree with that. This would be, this piece would be the most important piece of evidence that Jesus identified himself as the divine son of man and claimed to be able to raise himself from the dead. Everything in Christianity does not depend on Christmas. Everything in Christianity depends on the resurrection. Everything in Christianity depends on Easter. So while it's good that we're celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating his incarnation, and, and, you know, I get it. I'm not telling you to, like, hey, go home, pack up your Christmas stuff, save it for Easter. Your kids would riot, your grandkids would riot, riot because stockings are cooler than Easter baskets. I think we can all agree on that. This is not the most important holiday in Christendom, though. The resurrection of Christ is, Easter is. And so while all of that theology is, in, is incredibly important, to understand specifically who Jesus is, the question we need to answer is, why is it important? Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good table conversation. It's great in Bible studies when someone wants to throw out the idea of the preexistence of Christ. Well, I heard this verse, and Pastor Peter talked about this verse. Okay. How is it that we can actually apply it to our lives? Though? Why is it important? One, it matters because a proper understanding of the person of Jesus is essential to knowing him and his mission for which he was sent. We can't understand why Jesus was here without understanding that he preexisted forever. Okay, it wasn't happenstance that he just showed up. Also, it matters to obtain a, a proper perspective on Christmas. Okay, it doesn't matter whether Jesus was actually born on December 25th or April 17th or any other date on the calendar. The important thing we need to know is that, that the early Christians focused more on the events, uh, uh, on the ending events than they did at the, at the beginning events of Jesus. They talked about the idea of the crucifixion way more than they talked about his birth narrative. 
The early Christians didn't focus on the birthday because they realized that Jesus' birth was not the origin of the Messiah. The origin of the Messiah was before time began. Jesus had existed long before he was born. I mean, granted, it's still important we set aside time to talk about the incarnation and celebrate the incarnation and all of those things. So the preexistence of Jesus is important because before the beginning of time, when Jesus was existing alongside the Father and, and the Holy Spirit, he already knew what was waiting for him. Follow me on this. It's important because Jesus understood what was going to go on. He knew that all things would be created through him before the beginning of time. He knew all these things. He knew everything was going to be created through him. He knew that his creation was going to fall. His very good creation, humanity, was going to fall and was going to sin intentionally in Genesis chapter 3. He knew that he was going to make some appearances, some Christophanies in the Old Testament. He knew that the prophets were going to prophesy about him. And he knew also that at some point he was going to temporarily set aside the privileges of deity and become a baby. He knew he was going to teach. He knew he was going to heal. He knew he was going to forgive sins. And he knew that he was going to submit to death and be raised again three days later, only eventually to be seated at the right hand of God where he is still residing as flesh and blood to be the mediator between God's judgment and man. Christ knew all of it. Jesus knew all of it. He knew all of these things. He saw all of these things from before the beginning of time. He had a lot to ponder. He had a lot to consider. He had a lot to, to think about. But ultimately, he knew that even though, we, even though that he deserved our worship and we deserved his wrath, that he was still going to come for us. Philippians 2, 6 and 8 really spells it out for us. It's talking about Jesus here. It says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He knew about our sin. He knew about your sin. He knew about my sin. And more importantly, he knew about the cost, what the cost was going to be before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye. He knew what was waiting for him. And so he didn't, he didn't accidentally find himself in the position to go to the cross. It wasn't a series of unfortunate events where he came and he was like, yep, I'm the Messiah. And like, oh no, the Pharisees outsmarted me. Oh no, I had no clue that one of my 12 disciples were going to betray me. Oh no, look, I, I, I'm ending up going to the cross. Like this was all intentional. He wasn't surprised by any of this. It was God knowing that the only path forward for his creation to experience intimacy in the same way that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden was to come to earth and die for the sins of all of us. Jesus knew he was going to come and die and saw it before time began. He wasn't 30 when he realized it. He wasn't 12 when he realized it. 
It was in his pre-existence that he knew about it. Jesus is an intentional savior who expected to be mocked, who expected to be spit on, expected to be humiliated, and still, even though he saw it all coming, did everything that scripture said he did in order that we would experience life and life to the full. So let's look back at at Philippians 2 for a second, because this really does explain exactly what happens in the incarnation. We never go through this when we're talking about Jesus and his birth, right? We just talk about donkeys and Mary and censuses and, and barns and all of that stuff. This is the important piece of his narrative. This is the theologically important piece of what is happening right now, that Jesus was God from the very beginning of time, before the beginning of time. We think linearly, right? We think, okay, yeah, I was born on this date, and then on this date, I graduated high school, this date, I got a job, this date, I got married, and tomorrow, and next week, and the end of my life. Like, we think of of time as a line, but at some point, time had not started, I don't know what time that was. At some point, time had not started, and Christ and God and the Holy Spirit existed outside of that as God. And so Jesus was like, look, in this time, I know what's going to happen, but you know what? Somebody has the responsibility of going down to earth and making sure that my creation, our creation, can be with us forever. Not because that God needed it, not because we were worth it, simply because God loved us enough to extend that invitation. And so Jesus was like, you know what? I'm not going to try to be equal with God. I don't see that as something that needs to be grasped, but rather I'm going to make myself low. I'm going to empty myself of the privileges of deity. I'm gonna set those things aside for a second. So I can, I can save all of humanity who would call me Lord and Savior. And that was his goal. He came as a servant, being made in human likeness, lower than what he ever deserved to be. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. That means he willingly submitted to death. Death did not conquer Christ. He willingly submitted himself to death in order for God's plan to be able to reign supreme. So Jesus was going to come and die and saw it before time began. It was on purpose. It was intentional. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're looking forward to the birth of Christ and you're looking forward to the the Christmas trees and hearing Christmas shoes come on for the 50th time on K-Love, or spending time with your family, or, or, or whatever, it, whatever it may be, and you're looking forward to the birth of Christ, I want you to recognize two things this morning. The first thing I want you to recognize is, is this may be the incarnate birth of Christ, but it is not the beginning of Christ. And two, he knew, Jesus knew before the beginning of time that we would need to be saved and intentionally stepped out of privileges of deity to do so. Your eternity, my eternity, hinged on Jesus being intentional. It hinged on it. 
And as nice as that is to hear, because we understand it now, right? We're like on the other side of the cross. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm super grateful that Jesus was intentional and he came and I prayed the prayer. And so because of that, man, I get to go to, get to, go to heaven one day. There is an entire world who is yet to hear that Christ intentionally came to save them as well. That's our responsibility to the world. That's our responsibility to what we would call our oikos. If you're new here, that's a phrase that we use. It's a Greek word. It means household. And then you, each of us have one, right? You may not be aware of it. Each of us have one. There's, there's roughly 8 to 15 people that you already know, and it's your responsibility to make an impact on them for Christ. And their eternity, while yes, it hinges on Jesus being intentional, it also may hinge on you being intentional. So hear that. That it may hinge on you being intentional with those people as well. Those people who, who are yet to know who he is. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage. Hopefully they're hiding backstage somewhere. It's always good when they are. And as is our tradition, in the first week of the month, we, we receive communion. And so if you need some communion supplies, you can, you can raise your hand. we got some people who will come by and, and get you. But as there's movement going around, I want, you, I want you just to think for a second. I want you to commune for a second with God during this time. Because what's going to happen is, is we have our band. They're going to play a song. And you're going to have the communion elements. And then um, as, uh, as the song concludes, we're going to receive communion together. And I want you to think about the fact that, that, that your Savior, Jesus Christ, came intentionally. He came on purpose. That this was not an accident. That he recognized your sin. He recognized what it was that he was going to have to go through on earth. And still he decided to come anyway. This isn't even a cup he wanted to bear. Think back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Think back to, to, to the night that he was betrayed and he has his disciples around and Judas is gone and, and he's sitting there and he's praying by himself and he's like, hey, disciples, all I want you to do is just stay awake over here and pray. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray by myself. And, and he's so anxious and stressed and nervous that he begins sweating blood because there, there was so much angst and, and he prays to God. He said, hey, God, if there is any way for you to take this cup from me, please take this cup from me. And then he says something interesting. In full submission to God, he says, hey, but God, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Christ didn't want to take this cup. But he recognized that unless he did, we would be separated from God forever. He was intentional. Before the beginning of time, he said, hey, this is what is going to happen. This is what I'm going to have to do. And for the sake of my creation, simply because I love them, they don't deserve it. They're going to sin. They're going to separate themselves from me. But regardless of that, I'm going to come and die and be obedient to death, even death on a cross for their sake. Simply because he loved us. He was intentional. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if, if you've said yes to Jesus a thousand times and today's going to be a thousand one. 
I don't know if you've never said yes ever to Christ, but I want you to know as a reminder, or maybe for the first time, that Jesus came to rescue you from your sins intentionally and because he loved you and because without him, we would, send, we would spend eternity in separation from everything that is good simply because God loves us and he loved us first and he loved us best. And so in just a second, I'm gonna pray. And as is our theology here, that we believe in what's called an open table. So when it comes to communion, you don't have to be a member of our church, you don't have to be a member of FBH, but we would ask that you have said yes to God, that you're a member of the family of Christ in order to partake in communion. If you haven't said yes, then we would love for you to say yes now as I pray in just a second and then take your first communion with us. Why don't you bow? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your son. And I'm grateful that this was an intentional plan, that you knew what we were going to do. You knew what was going to happen. You knew that we were going to separate ourselves from you forever. And that, that your son intentionally said, hey, look, I, like, I, I don't see equality with God, something to be grasped, but I'm going to willingly submit myself to this process. I'm going to willingly go to the cross. I'm going to willingly submit myself to death. I'm going to intentionally come and do all of those things simply so my creation could be with me forever because I love them and that's the only reason. If you have yet to say yes to Christ with heads still bowed and eyes still closed and you want to be a part of the family of God, you want to recognize that, man, Jesus Christ, he came as my intentional savior. If that's you today, you can pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I messed up. I mess up every single day and I'm sorry for the, the chasm that I have caused between us. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for me. That you intentionally sent your son. And that C, I would choose to follow him every single day. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your intention, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.